Big Fluff. How about you, my dear? What's the one thing you most desire? What would bring you happiness? A new life. A new life. Here at Mr. Big's Bingo, you could win enough money to buy that new life ten times over. Who's ready to play the game? Hey, everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it's been a hell of a month, everybody, uh, as we get into the fourth week of this seemingly endless hellscape that is uh, looking at movies with hell in the title. And this week we are doing Bingo Hell. I don't know. You said hell a lot. It felt like I should just play that. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we're watching Bingo Hell. Yes. Uh, which is uh, Amazon original movie that came out in 2021. And it stars Oscar nominee Adriana Barraza and a bunch of other people. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, yeah, it is uh, directed by Kay Saul Guerrero. Um, Kate, actually, I think her first, first name is. Anyways, um, and, uh, man, I wanted this movie to be good, and it wasn't. It, yeah, it had a great idea, right? <laughs> yeah, like, it's, this movie, I think the biggest problem with this movie is that it didn't just be the movie it should have been, it tried to be something more. Like, I think this movie was made, like, trying to be that horror movie that breaks the mold in like an artistic, like almost Jordan Peele esque way is what it thought it was doing when it should have been, uh, Wally's wonderland. See, I, I'm going to push back on that because I was into the idea that it was going to be about something more. And I liked that about it initially. I just don't think it pulled it off. I I, th I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah, well, it's like, I just wanted to be clear because, like, I liked the ambition of it. And I I am a big fan of horror that is, because I, I think good horror fundamentally should be about something more. And it doesn't have to be crazy. And obviously, a lot of slasher films have worked with the basic message of, like, don't be mean to kids at camp or uh, don't. Right. Don't set weird pedophiles on fire i don't know what the message of friday the 13th is but yeah, of, uh, uh, nightmare on elm street is um besides because those movies which we've I've, shockingly besides freddy versus jason we've never done a, a nightmare on elm street but it's like they have that weird thing where uh at some point they realized how charismatic 
Freddy was. And so they started writing him funny and charming, but it's like, you're stuck with that first movie. <laughs> You know, like. yeah, he still is a murderous pedophile. Yeah, like that's still that's still an a keystone of his character. Yeah, that's canon. Like that is just fundamental. Right. Uh, but anyway, point being, like, I do like obviously Jordan Peele is probably the gold standard these days. But like when you can really tap into horror as being about something deeper about societal fears or something like that. And so I, or horror's I, allegory, like there's things like that that can really work, right? And so I like the pitch. I like what it was setting up in the beginning of an idea of this is a neighborhood that has people in it that really care about their neighborhood. They've dealt with other sort of bad factors with crime or drugs or whatever, and they've looked out for each other and they've tried to keep their neighborhood safe. And now they're dealing with essentially gentrification. Right. And I like that. I think that's a good pitch. And then absolutely. And then the bingo hall sort of representing uh, just at its core that gentrification, that capitalism, that just raw like, look, you might have these values, but what if I offer you a lot of money? Then will you go back on them? I think all that was good. I think. The problem is the first act really set up a movie that I was interested in. And then the third, it's like the third act was Willie's Wonderland. (laughs) And the first act was setting up that it was going to be about something deeper. And something happened in the second act to make it kind of give up on its larger ambitions, I feel like. Well, yeah. And like, I think they could have even dialed in further about the devil as a metaphor for gentrification. Because essentially the plot of this movie is, as as Joel mentioned, there's this town with uh, an aging populace that is dealing with uh, gentrification. And then uh, the bingo hall, which was sort of the hangout for the elderly population in the town, uh, gets overnight, gets bought out and converted into this crazy casino bingo hall owned by this guy uh, known as Big Winner, Mr. Big. And he's the devil. And uh, now he runs the bingo hall and is slowly murdering people. Which I see. And I think that's where it started to break down Too was why was he murdering the people? (laughs) Well, right. It's that like. The devil does like to collect souls, but that was never made abundantly clear. Um, Also, like what a chance to monkey's paw all of these people. Right. And I think. I think you could see almost like a glimmer because so a good example uh, to kind of zero in on it is we have a character. So the character Dolores is so it's her and Lupita are sort of the two main older women that are friends who have lived in this town forever. And Dolores is dealing with the fact that uh, her grandson is being raised by her daughter-in-law who is, you know, not hands off. Yeah, (laughs) not a great mom. And there's a a scene where she wins money from the lottery and then she disappears and it's played that both her son and her mother-in-law are not surprised by this, that that seems in line with her personality of like she she got, I think, like $100,000 or something. And and then she just left her kid behind and took the money. Okay, yes, that's we're on theme. That's capitalism, all that. 
But then it's just Mr. Big appears behind her in a mirror and gets her to rip her skin off. And it's like, it's kind of like, I mean, I guess, but couldn't this have been more? But where's monkeys? the artistry? Yeah. Where's the monkey, Paul? Where's the artistry? Where's the she thought she was getting one thing? Because it's like, yes, essentially it is a Faustian bargain in that she thought she was getting one thing and she was getting another. But like, instead of that other thing being some sort of delicious irony it's just i i mauled you right and it's the same thing when um the when uh the other guy kills himself is that he wins a bunch of money and then just feeds his arm to the car he's working on yeah and the the guy in the beginning and drinks motor oil yeah that, that guy drinks motor oil the guy in the beginning just chokes on bingo, bingo balls, balls. He, he's the guy he owned the the bingo hall that the old ladies went to and then he sells it to mr big and then he just eats the bingo balls until he dies but yeah it's just yeah i think look my note to the devil in this film is where's the artistry pal yeah satan (laughs) come on all the satans i know have a little bit of panache you know that they they like to make that deal where's the robot devil of it all you know if you go watch that futurama episode uh robot devil is a top is a top tier. De- He's an S tier devil. Well, like, let's be great. honest here. But yeah, his delicious, deliciously circuitous plan to <laughs> he his robot hands go to fry. And then because of that, he gets uh, a horn. Or he, he trades a horn to Bender for Bender's metal butt, uh, which is also tortures Bender because he can't say bite my shiny metal butt. Any metal ass anymore. Yeah. And then. He uses the horn to deafen Leela, which the whole thing was Fry was writing an opera for Leela and then she can't hear it. And then the robot devil says all he wants in return is her hand. But he actually means her hand in marriage. And then he forces Fry to choose between giving back the hands or allowing the robot devil to marry Leela. That's irony that's that is art <laughs> that is some devil artistry yeah it's good stuff but i mean yeah it's like it's even the same thing in um god i can't think of the name of the movie but with uh brendan fraser and elizabeth bedazzled. Hurley, where she, bedazzled there we go yeah where like by showing some genuine altruism like he breaks the curse of the devil like there's always loopholes and things whereas these people just win money f- from the casino the casino bingo hall and then kill themselves. Well, and the the flip side of that as well is because this Mr. Big devil character is never fleshed out and we never understand why he's doing what he's doing. Also, apparently you can just shoot him and that defeats him. So he's not yeah. immortal, I guess. Like, I don't really. He seems supernatural, but definitely susceptible to gunfire. And just gets uh essentially beaten with the butt of the rifle too at the end and then they burn the bingo hall to the ground yeah and (laughs) i mean i did enjoy that but yes i mean no like i think what's just didn't sit right with me is the fact that yeah this there was no greater message and i think that they wanted there to be a greater message and they didn't know how to give that greater message well that's the thing is yeah i Essentially, yeah, to to boil down what we are saying is I think there are two options to go here, and especially with a movie like this that uh, is, you know, it's going to be probably like more of a cult movie. It's it's just it doesn't have the 
distribution behind it and the promotion behind it to really push it to be a big theatrical release, you can either be something like Willy's Wonderland, which is just like, here is the premise. There is a bingo hall. The guy who runs it is the is uh, some sort of demon and he's killing people who win and we got to stop him. OK, or this is a film that's a metaphor for gentrification and it's about a town that's slowly being taken away from the people who built it. Also interesting, but you right. have to do one or the other and you have to do it like you have to go 100 percent. And it feels like it kind of feels they, like there were it was built by committee that there were two people, one on either side. And somehow the compromised vision that they ended up with was lesser than if they had just committed to either path. Well, yeah, they tried to do both and ended up doing neither. Yes. Is really what happened. Yeah. And yeah, it's that that is it in a nutshell is that there's no as long as you pick a lane, there isn't a wrong choice. Right. Just do it well, you know, and I think that there were enough elements to this to really make that work that I, I think the cast was good. I, I think it, you know. I liked the way it looked. I think everything, the pieces were there. It just, ultimately, I do think that it was the the script that didn't work. Yeah, I think I think everything wrong with this movie is on the page and not on the screen. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, I, that might be a first for us where it's just a, it's, this might be like where it's the script that's the biggest problem rather than performances or, you know, framing because or anything like that. I mean, as you all have noticed, Andy and I like to pitch a lot of ideas. We, I think fundamentally we are writers. And so yeah. we're going to <laughs> we're going to bla- we're going to throw everyone else under the bus. Under the bus. <laughs> Look, it was, we're going to hold those writers up to a certain standard. I, I bet this script was amazing. And it was the craft services that kept just <laughs> undercooking the eggs. And every morning that they got to set... They just, you know, they they were probably not feeling great from those undercooked eggs, and that's why they didn't get what was on the page. That that <laughs> damn crap, that d- damn gopher only got cinnamon raisin bagels, and everyone was upset. <laughs> because a lot of people don't know this about Hollywood, but a lot of the best films also have the best craft services. It's true. Citizen Kane's caterers were the citizens Kane's of caterers. Catering. Yeah. Uh, Rosebud <laughs> catering, it was called. <laughs> it was because they brought everything to you on a sled. Yeah, that was that was their gimmick. And yeah. and, and Orson Welles saw this while shoveling a handful of uh, peas into his mouth and said, there, oh, there might be something here. Yeah. And then he asked where the peas grew and there was a huge fight. And <laughs> yeah, he argued. About that, if you've never heard that clip, go listen to the Orson Welles outtake where he's doing the frozen peas commercial. You know what? By the way, it occurred to me, Andy. Like, I wonder if there's any Orson Welles because Orson Welles—he's one of my favorite filmmakers. But like, has he done anything that like we could do? You know, we did the the James Bond thing, but like, I'd love to do another Orson Welles. Film. Like maybe a, a late career Orson Welles, something like towards the end. Yeah, that'd be really fun. I don't know if there's anything. I can't think of anything. Yeah, nothing like, you know, like, because I and you know me, I'm instant gratification. So, like, I wish there was something we could do next month. Yeah, no, that'd be amazing if we could 
do something like that would be excellent. But we can't. So uh, yeah, you no know, uh, it's just uh, or maybe this whole bit. There's more than meets the eye. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe there maybe. is. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, like this is one of those things where, I mean. You just like everything was weird. Like I was really hoping and I'm going to put this half in like the maligning portion. I was really hoping that Richard Brake, who played Mr. Big, was going to steal the show. Yes, because he's like a good that guy actor. And I thought that that, like he was going to, you know, I thought before watching this movie, like I bet you that Richard Brake's performance is going to be our silver lining. And maybe the fact that he was. Perfectly fine is why I'm I'm a little bit sour on it because I thought it was going to be excellent. Yeah, you thought Portman from Doom was going to have his due. You thought that's what I'm saying. I thought Joe Chill from Batman Begins. Yeah, but like he has a distinct look, and like in those small parts, like he's good in those, you know. And I thought that like this maybe this would be like oh like like this that guy can now that he's given a little more something to chew on that he's going to do a little bit more with it, but. Yeah, he definitely has a face that, yeah. that he's getting cast for the look. And, and, it, and it sells it in this movie, too, that, I mean, you don't need the movie to tell you that this guy's the villain. <laughs> right. You don't need any, like, any score or anything like that. It's, I, he just has a sinister air about him. Yes. Well, he killed Batman's parents. So Yeah. Although, I mean, and here's the weird part is that he killed Batman's parents, but still very pro-capitalism. <laughs> yeah. You know, that just seems a little incongruous because I assume that this that he was Joe Chill. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what I, that's that's what I'm operating under that premise. Yeah, I by the way, uh, and, you know, we like to stick to. Just what we're talking about, the actual laser focus, laser focused, but. I will say, if you're not watching Harley Quinn this season, they have been having so much fun with the, it sounds weird to say, but with the, they're having fun with the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents. Uh, just in in the universe of Harley Quinn, they are making a movie about the Waynes being murdered, and they talk about how many times that's been shown on screen before, and Thomas Wayne is being played by Billy Bob Thornton, and it's all fantastic. And hilarious. And they have a lot of jokes about Joe Chill and confusing him with Joe Cool. <laughs> Wait, the Joe Camel? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the and then what's the um the Snoopy character too? Like they oh, keep yeah, 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 yeah. They keep messing up the various names of like, no, that's you're thinking of Snoopy. <laughs> like you're thinking of uh the cigarette mascot. Like, yeah, it's it's good stuff. Yeah. Um I have I have not watched uh, season three yet, but I'm very excited too. It's good. Um, yeah. So, you know, something we'll never talk about that on this podcast as a full episode because it's one, a TV show and two great. I think besides those reasons, though, if it wasn't a TV show and it wasn't great, then we probably would do it. But there's a good there's a, a non zero chance that we would talk about something because typically the things that we talk about are movies, which are not TV shows. I'd say it's exclusively and- the thing we talk about, at least. Uh, episode wise, you know, and we're laser focused, so we really are mostly just talking about whatever. Yeah, movie. we certainly haven't uh, talked about episodes of TV shows from Japan ever once. No. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting, by the way, too, is like, again, I don't know why I'm just I think 
you know, it, it, there's something about this time of year. And it, when you get to October, I feel like you just already start thinking to November and December. But I'm like, what if there was a movie and maybe it was a theatrical movie, but it mostly is remembered for being shown on television, maybe in 30 minute segments. Like, whoa, would that be something? I think that would count. Yeah. And maybe think, you I, got some sort of beloved character from that show slash wrestler to introduce each segment. That would probably be a thing that would happen. I think that counts as a movie. Because I think because like if it was billed as like whatever the property was, colon, the movie, I think that's why it counts. Yeah. Well, because if the, yeah, if the word movies in the title, then I think we're good. Yeah. And I mean, I think whoever was able to figure that out and clear all the hurdles to make it happen would be some kind of real American hero. Yeah. And knowing how to do that would be, I think, at least half the battle for making at it. At least half the battle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, man, people, I don't know if they're going to be able to figure out these clues. Yeah. I don't. I mean, they might. And, you know, once they realized like what we were hinting at, uh, I think they would just need some sort of like hug from like a stuffed animal or something. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, you know, just something to just warm them in their belly or maybe like a, a stare that was from like, you know, just they need someone to care for them is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm now picturing one of our listeners with a coffee cup in their childhood <laughs> bedroom. <laughs> and the cup just slowly drops to the ground and shatters as they look at their shelves full of all the toys that their parents and it was like. a rainbow bright mug <laughs> yes exactly anyway um i'll be to say yeah like i think i think what disappointed me the most about this movie is how much i wanted to like it and how much i ended up just not disliking it per se but almost like not caring like it, this movie didn't do a great job of holding my attention right like it the title the premise and sort of the beginning i think built up a lot of goodwill and then it just didn't like the longer it went on it just didn't really sustain what i was hoping for and I, yeah i think that was kind of a bummer just and, and just because it just didn't really it didn't make a choice it didn't it tried to be everything and ended up being nothing like it tried to be both types of movies and you know the third act was very much the Willy's Wonderland or Wally's Wonderland the first act was more of like a serious hor horror as allegory and then the second act just being so uninspired didn't transition well between the two well and i feel like it also really for all the other reasons that we said too, like the the end doesn't work, but even then just the actual end end, the final scene after they burn down the bingo hall, there's just they're talking about like just moving. And I was like, is wasn't that the whole thing? Was that you wanted to save your neighborhood and now you're fine to move? Couldn't well, you have much just much like Asgard, uh Oak Ridge or whatever they were called is a people, not a place. <laughs> okay. That's fair. You know? Yeah. Um that's I was like, oh, they watched Thor Ragnarok when they made this movie. <laughs> it's essentially the same end. <laughs> yeah, which I did think it was weird that during the credits, a giant ship showed up and like yeah. hovered above them. And like, where did the the like the soft spoken rock monster come from? Yeah, I was like, there was no rock monster in this whole movie the whole time. And then in the in the uh, essentially Empire Strikes Back shot, he's just there. Yeah. 
And again, I mean, how did L. Scott Caldwell get an Infinity Stone? I don't, that doesn't even make sense. No. And why was it the Soul Stone? Like, who did, she, who, who died? Who did, was that what happened to her, her son? Oh my God. And that's, that's why totally, she was living with her daughter-in-law and her grandson? That makes total sense. She, because, you know, her okay. and her son went to, went Vormir. there. Yeah, to Vormir, but only she came back. Right. And then, um, and then her daughter-in-law threw a bench over a lake. <laughs> yep. I do have questions about that soul stone thing, though, because like once it's on the infinity, well, I guess it proves that, right? That because like when Tony Stark, get, I mean, I guess he spoilers, I'm sorry for <laughs> Endgame, but when he uses the gauntlet, he dies, but he was able to get this. I guess once it's out of Vormir, then it's just it's it's free. Yeah, that's it's uh, the only inconsistency in the MCU there. Otherwise, it's yeah. Everything just from movie to movie really matches. Movie, super well. movie show to show is, is pitch perfect. Uh, no hand waves, nothing. Um, and I think that's really important to understanding how to appreciate bingo. Hell is a talk <laughs> of the plot inconsistencies of Avengers Endgame. Well, because the ultimately plot inconsistencies were, I think, would were the problem with this movie. But let's unpack this because we're never going to talk about Endgame at any other point. No, it's too the, good. Yeah, the Soul Stone makes no sense. No, well, yeah, because again, yeah, like it's the whole like thing. Like, if is, you show up alone, do you just not get it? Well, right. How do you know to bring someone? It just happens that the two times that we see it, someone did anyone ever show up by themselves? And then they meet uh, uh, Red with Skull. Red Skull. And then they're like, wait, okay, I'll be back. I gotta. All right, hold on. I gotta go find a loved one to, to murder. Also, does it, like, does it know if it's the person that you love the most? Because also, let's think about this. So it's that which you love the most. So Hawkeye loved black widow the most like more, more than, than his, his wife his and child like children and his children that he went on a murderous rampage in the wake of their disappearance yeah so like i you know if i was linda cardellini and me man first of all what a blessed life let's just take a moment to appreciate it if i were linda cardellini i would have won the lottery every day i imagine i i, I often dream of linda cardellini of being linda cardellini uh, uh you know yeah, you just imagine that you can watch Freaks and Geeks and be like, I did that. That's me. Yeah, that was me. That that was me. Uh, oh, anyway. Uh, the Scooby-Doo movies, Velma. Yeah. Think about that. Uh, Mad Men showed up in that. Boom. Yeah. Was there. <laughs> I imagine that's what her life mostly consists of, is just watching the things that she was in and then. Being like, that. I did that. I, I did that. That I was this girl right here. Yeah. Um. What has two thumbs and <laughs> and was in Mad Men, Freaks and Geeks, and Scooby Doo, and married to Hawkeye? This girl right here. Yep. Uh but but yeah, if I were Linda Cardellini, and I he, like you know, you imagine a Hawkeye comes home after the events of Endgame, and first of all, you're you're excited to exist again with your children. <laughs> That's nice. Right. Uh, and you're like, hey, honey, like you know, how do what happened? Feels like we disappeared for five years and then came back and like you talk through all that and then you're like, then you're like, oh, well, you know, Clint, just out of curiosity, what have you been doing for those five years? And then that's a really awkward 
right. conversation like, as well. A yeah. whole lot of murder. And then he's like, what if I take the kids on a vacation to New York and we don't talk about this? Yeah, I imagine. Uh, but then, like, at some point, you'd have to tell the story and you'd be like, well, then, uh, you know, the unfortunately, Black Widow died. And it's like, oh, God, what Nat happened? Nat died? Nat died. What happened? And it's like, well, we went to this place, Vormir. And when we got there, in order to get the Soul Stone, uh, I had to kill that, which I loved most. I feel like you'd be like, you'd try to be sympathetic, but you'd also be like, I'm sorry, what? Sorry, most? Most. Said most. The word most. Yeah. Now, was there a qualifier platonically that I didn't hear? Or was it like most of the three of us that are here? Like, was it <laughs> like, like, it, so, yeah, I get that you definitely loved her more than Red Skull, who you didn't know about. <laughs> but yeah, feels. But most in the universe. Yeah, of everyone. More than this random teenager you brought home. <laughs> <laughs> it better be, damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think we talk enough about uh, what. What a understanding and <laughs> patient. She's a saint. Yeah, wife. A that, saint. What is her? I can't remember what her character name is, but Mrs. Hawkeye. Mrs. Hawkeye. Yeah. Doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. Um. All that to be said, uh, we watched <laughs> Bingo Hell this month. I think and... that's clear. I think if anyone <laughs> turned it on at any random moment, that would be very clear. If you like walked away and forgot to pause the podcast and came back, there's no doubt you would know that <laughs> oh, we're talking still... about bingo hell. Yeah, this is still related, obviously. <laughs> it is. There's no tangents. Uh, nothing whatsoever. Um, I think that's as good a time as any to pivot to the things we liked about this movie. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, Adriana Barraza was... Excellent. I thought she was great. Yeah. I mean, if you like she needed to immediately have the gravitas to believe that she ran this neighborhood and she had it and yeah, yeah you bought it immediately. Yeah. Like just the way it, she had so many great scenes without dialogue with just the way she carried herself, the way she acted. It was like a lot of action speak louder than words moments. And I mean, she was great. And her delivery of her lines was impeccable, too. Like, just taking control of situations. Like, when she was the bingo caller, that scene was, I think, especially fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I, that was... You really got a sense. And I, I... You know, again, we just pivoted. But, like, I don't think we got enough of what the bingo game meant to everybody before right. it goes away. But I think that scene at least gave us a glimpse of of what it meant to go to bingo. Yeah, it like they could have lived in that world a little bit more before the uh like even if even if like maybe the bingo hall was shuttered for a bit before instead of reopening the next day as Mr. Big's bingo or even just thinking about it now you know, in the opening, when we're kind of getting introduced to everything, she's walking around the neighborhood and and checking in on everyone could have all happened at the bingo hall. All of those people could have just been playing bingo and she could have been the bingo caller and sort of went up to each person at their table and knew them and, and what to ask them about. You could have said it in the bingo hall. Yeah, there there there, there were ways. Yeah, but we're we're past that. We're the, these are the silver linings. Yeah, we're at we are at the silver linings. Um, 
but no and uh c scott caldwell uh l. Who, scott. or l scott caldwell yeah who the season is let's just take a moment to talk about l scott caldwell who i didn't know that we'd ever get a chance to talk about on this podcast because she has been amazing in a lot of amazing movies and if the name is not immediately ringing a bell like first of all uh rose on lost so right boom, there right there boom and fantastic uh she was also uh in the first thing that i always think of her from and remember her as uh which uh, i'll be honest i didn't remember the character name but i do remember her which is pool in the fugitive but she's one of uh tommy lee jones like you know team that's going around searching for richard kemble just all over the fugitive she's fantastic yeah actually um completely unrelated to this movie and i know we're not talking about things that are completely unrelated to this movie that's not what we do here um but uh my wife and i were trying to pick something to watch while we were getting ready for bed the other night and uh jess was like oh want to watch the fugitive and i'm like yes yes i do because i almost always want to watch the fugitive because it's great it's a great movie and it's one too that i had not like it's one of those movies that was always on HBO, so I used to watch it growing up a lot, and then I didn't watch for a long time, and then I watched it within the last few years, and it was nice because it felt familiar, but enough time had passed that I didn't remember every single part of it, and so it was like a fun rewatch. Yeah, I'll tell you what I had forgotten about with The Fugitive in this most recent rewatch is that Harrison Ford was shredded for that. He was in very good shape. Yeah, he was. Um, I was like, oh. He oh, didn't okay. kill his wife, but he killed leg day. Yo, he did not skip leg day. <laughs> he did abs every day. <laughs> Which is like, I mean, he's just like a doctor. Like, he's, right. but no, that dude, he was hitting the gym. Yeah. Um, Which is funny, because he's like more ripped in that than he is in, like when they take his shirt off in Temple of Doom. Right. Or any of the Indiana Jones movies. He's, he's definitely in better shape for uh, playing aging Dr. Richard Kimball. Yeah. Uh, but uh, by the way, too, just because I I do. I wanted to mention one more more contemporary reference as well for L. Scott Caldwell, which is that I enjoyed seeing her pop up on Insecure as well, yeah. where she played uh, the mom for Yvonne Orji's character. Yeah. No, she uh, L. Scott Caldwell is wonderful. Um, just again she's she's a value-added performer 100 percent. yeah no she's great i was surprised to see her but very happy to see her in this and i mean even the rest of the supporting cast like i think everybody they're archetypes but you know they commit to them pretty well uh there's like you know uh positive spirited elderly black man and kind of racist elderly white guy <laughs> And uh, older Spanish lady that's not the same Spanish as uh, Lupita. You know, the archetypes. Yeah. Well, there is a character literally credited, and it's the director, was literally credited as hipster girl in this yeah. movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, no, the cast is good. Yeah. They, they, I think they do what they need to do, which is that you remember who they are, that they're introduced right. and you're like, I know who that person is and what their thing is. Oh, he's the mechanic. And now he's drinking motor oil and dying. You know, like yeah. they they're memorable enough that their deaths aren't just like, wait, who is that guy? What's happening? 
Like, uh, to use a term from uh, sketch comedy, they're all lights up characters. Yeah. That as soon as the lights go up, you know exactly who they are, what they are. And, you know, that's okay for secondary characters in, a, in a, anything. Yeah. I mean, but, a lot of times that's really all that you need from a secondary character is just be there briefly and we should know what your thing is right away, you know? But yeah, like this. Ah, God, I wanted to like this movie. Which also, by the way, since we're talking about the cast and since we said it before, just to cover the other side of it, I don't think Richard Brake, one, did anything wrong. And no. two, I completely understand why he was cast because he he sells the character based on his look like that. The second he shows up, his name is Mr. Big. He owns the bingo hall. Obviously, this guy is the devil like that yeah. is it, it, he doesn't need to talk. It, his name may as well have been Lou Siffer. <laughs> I'm Mez Astafelis. Yeah, my name's Beal. Beal Zabub. <laughs> yeah, last name Zabub. Yeah. yeah, first name Beal. You mean Bill? Nope. Beal. Do you have an accent? Like what? No, I don't. I'd... It's like, <laughs> say the word P-I-L-L. Pill. What's your first name? Beal. <laughs> Beal Zabub. Yeah, it's pronounced like Jessica Beal. Yeah. Which and if she Steve married Zabub. him. If Jessica Beal married the character, she'd be Jessica Beal Zabub. Zabub, yeah. And her husband would be Beal. Beals above because they do a, a mutual, uh, you know, hyphenated last name thing. Okay. Modern couple. Okay. How about this? So Jessica Beale plays herself, right? Okay. And we do, it's sort of a Rosemary's baby, but modern, but she, she's Jessica Beale. She kind of decides that she's done with this Hollywood life and she wants to have a family somewhere. I don't know if she has a family in real life. I'm sorry. I don't know. She, she and Justin Timberlake have kids. Okay. But in this world, they don't. In this world, they don't. Yeah. But so she meets uh, <laughs> a guy named like, he can't be Bill in this. So he'd have to, he's Bill. He'd be, he's, he's Bill Zabub. He's William Zabub. Everyone calls him. Will. Will. So Will Zabub. Everyone calls him Liam. So you don't get it. Yeah. Liam Zabub. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's perfect, Andy. So he's Liam Zabub. But then the like third act reveal is that she finds his birth certificate. And it's like, wait and a it's second. William. William. Wait a second. I found your your high school yearbook. Everyone called you Bill. Because he has a high Zabub. school yearbook in this right. too. Obviously. But the anyway. devil went to high school. And that's the prequel. See, we're setting up a, a shared universe. We're gonna here. do. We're gonna do what they did with X and with Pearl and with Maxine. That first, we're gonna do <laughs> the Jessica Biel Zabub movie, and then we're gonna do the Devil's High School, uh, and <laughs> which is in hell. That okay. First of all, the Devil's High School might be the best title we've come up with <laughs> for this podcast. Okay, you know what? I kind of no offense to Jessica Biel. We still will find a part for you. I kind of want to bail on that movie and just make The Devil's High School. <laughs> I'm all in on The Devil's High School. Yeah, let's make The Devil's High School. So it's a high school in hell where the demons learn how to be demons and they're going to school. And the movie is obviously about 
a demon that wants to be an angel and he's in the devil's right. high school. And so he's acting out, but their version of acting out. Hold like, on. No, no, no. I, I, okay. I think I think I, I think I got it. I think I can beat that. Okay. I, think I can beat it. Um, an angel is actually half demon, half devil, and he's living with his devil stepdad and this he has to go of- to the demon school. I'm just going to warn you that you're kind of describing the plot of Little Nicky a little bit. So, you do have to be. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) But, yes, that. Or maybe we do it more like Elf, that somehow an angel. It's because, you know, and obviously we all are, uh, you know, I assume everyone like me, and this is a real fact about me, have a religious studies minor uh, from college. And uh, (laughs) that. We all know that uh, Lucifer Morningstar was a fallen angel. So, right. in this, I, I picture it's like the beginning of Elf, that somehow as a baby, an angel like literally fell from heaven, not didn't have a falling out with God. Yeah, or it, wasn't a, it wasn't a fall from grace. It was he literally just like slipped and fell and it fell down to earth. And then a demon found the little baby. But this demon, for some reason, had a soft spot and takes the baby angel to hell and tries to raise it as a demon. And then he ends up in the devil's high school. Right. Step three, profit. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, obviously, so what are they teaching? Well, they, they're teaching history, but the history is, you know, obviously pro-devil propaganda. They're teaching how to torture Much like someone. in the American South. <laughs> Exactly. It's pretty much the same textbooks, weirdly. Yeah, it's 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 all uh, textbooks made for the state of Texas. Oh, so it was it was about states' rights. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's a lot of that. And popular then, sovereignty. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, cheating is encouraged. Uh, everyone is a bully and a class clown. And that's the thing is this angel stands out because... They're the only one that like they're getting straight A's, which is bad. And it's you, there's a little bit of that, that like bizarro thing. You don't want to get straight A's. You don't want to be the valedictorian like that. Those are uh, bad traits to have that you should. Th- or you want it to be so obvious that you're doing it underhandedly. Well, you have to cheat. Yeah. The, the cheating is not only the norm, it's expected. And when they that's the thing. At first, they think the angel is cheating really well and they, they want to know how. And then when they figure out that the angel isn't cheating, they're just doing the work. And then everyone is upset and tries to expel the angel. Right. And, you know, the angel eventually becomes the new Satan. Well, obvi- well but we get to that. And, but they, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves because obviously there's hell prom and obviously. Oh, yeah. Hell homecoming. Hell homecoming. You know, and there's. I mean, they have to have a homecoming game where obviously they play against the Angels. Um, right. And but it's the the Angels baseball And the quarterback team. for the Angels team looks suspiciously like the Angel because they're brothers. And that's when they figure it out. They're like, wait a second. You look like everybody on this team. Crazy. And the, the Angels like puts on like lose like fake horns to his head every day. So it's also a little bit like... Um, one of the guys that 80s uh, gender swapping comedy, <laughs> which we all agree needs to be brought back. That definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's an evergreen topic that wouldn't be problematic in 2022 whatsoever. And or not better, but also an example of the genre, uh, the film Ladybugs with Rodney Dangerfield. 
Yeah. Or Joanna Man. Mm-hmm. It's like all of those. Did we just plan a gender swapping month? <laughs> Apparently, we did. Oh, no. Oh, we got to do that now. It's weird that we don't Crap. even know what we're going to do next month, and now we're planning I know, a we future I we have no month. idea what we're going to do next month. <laughs> <laughs> this show's gotten ridiculous, Andy. We need to have a meeting after this, because I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea what's going on. Um, but... I think at this point, we just know it's our audience is exclusively Hollywood producers. Yeah. Wanting to give us the big bucks. Yeah, obviously. I mean, that that's uh, the, the amount of money that we're offered after every show is embarrassing, frankly, because that's not why we do it. No, we've we've just tur- until we get to make Jason goes to court. We've turned down every single offer that's been put our way, which is weird. That's the only one because I think the rights are tied up. No one will give us yeah. Jason goes to court, and we're like, that's what we want. That's all we want. Yeah, and we can we'll even let you make the other ones. Like, we'll give you the IP rights. Yeah, but in, and man, the emails that we get every month from Kane Hodder, just like, how's it going? Is, is, it, is it going? Is can, there any movement? I'm ready. Like I'm prepared, and he. He sends us photos of him in suits with a hockey mask just just to do it. I think he actually sent us a photo of him murdering someone. I was hoping that that was like staged, but it did look pretty convincing. It was. I mean, he is deep in the world of special effects and stunts. So please, Kane Hodder, if you're listening and we know that you are. Give us a sign that that was not an actual murder that you showed us. I will say, you know, and I want to believe it's fake, but the the subsequent emails with the stories of the the missing fishermen were disturbing. Well, that and then just like talking about how he got himself a lawyer and, you know, he's going to court as research. Yeah. But and he then he's to do that, man. He's doing a real trial as research and like, you know. <laughs> It's like, dude, you're cast. You know yeah. the part better than literally anybody. Yeah, we're like going to rely on you to do this. Like, you're the yeah. expert. So if you're serving 25 to life, like that really puts us in a bind. Yeah, it does not actually help the film. No, it, it quite frankly harms it. And that could be why producers are being so gun shy about emailing us. It, in addition to all of the new line cinema versus. Uh, was it Paramount that are the sort of the rights shares? I think it was Paramount. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so all that to say, see you next week. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's very clear that we did it. And everyone who kept leaving the room to check their laundry and coming back in, were like, oh, they're still talking about wow, these guys are have found a lot to say about a 90 minute movie <laughs> that is is relatively uneventful. I would have thought they'd have to pad it, but apparently they can just <laughs> stick very strictly. It's like I know how good they are at vamping, but this week they didn't need a bit of it. <laughs> it's I really applaud them and their professionalism. Silver Linings Playback is a production of hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey, this is Chris. And this is Joe from the Curioso Podcast. And we give our stamp of Curioso approval to the podcast that you're listening to right now. 